Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hey folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Fiction. Science fiction. Horror. Fantasy. Crime. LGBT. Thriller. You have now entered the house of mystery. With your hosts, Eric Shapiro, David North Martino, John Copenhaver, and Al Warren. Heard on FM Riverside and 1050 AM Palm Springs. Joining me, we are uh, talking about uh, crime fiction, and uh, we've got a great writer here, uh, Charles Cutter. Thank you for talking to us. Alan, thanks for having me. Okay, now before we get into your new book, it's called uh, Bare Bones. Let's talk about you. Uh, where did the writing come from? Um, well, my mother um, actually taught English at Michigan State University, and um, so and my they're my both my parents are big readers, so I ended up being a big reader. And then what happened was, um, in a prior life, you know, I owned some radio stations, and I had a particularly failing radio station in East Lansing that was just across. The camp, really just across the road from Michigan State, across Grand River. So not having anything else to do at lunch or other times of the day, I took uh, English courses and writing courses at Michigan State because I always had an interest in that. And then that's how I got involved in actual creative writing. And that was, that was some time ago. Um, the radio station, um, I sold the radio station and then sort of moved on from there. There must have been a lot of pressure if you have parents that are like, you know, an English teacher and uh, heavy readers. Uh, did, did you feel a lot of pressure to show them your first book or writing? <laughs> um, I did. Actually, I did. My mother was a real um, perfectionist and taskmaster, so she was very supportive, but she had a lot of comments. So I did feel, I did feel, it's a good question, I did feel some pressure there, but, you know, she did it in, I think, as loving a way as a stern teacher can do it. So it was, 
it was mostly positive. <laughs> oh boy, yes. Well, on the first editor, well, the, the first copy editor didn't do such a great job. So some of the, the things I got blamed for were um, mistakes really that I hadn't made, but you know, anyway, we got those corrected. So I have broad shoulders and I have no lasting damage. No kidding. Well, I was always interested in, and this goes partly back to my family, but when I was growing up, um, Perry Mason was on television and our house stopped when Perry Mason came on. So I grew up, you know, with um, uh, Raymond Burr and Paul Drake and Della Street. And um, so we watched that. And then I enjoyed reading it, you know, reading it myself. I read, you know, the, a lot of the Dash Hammett books and uh, a bunch of the famous mystery writers. And then I read, um, not many people know this, but Agatha Christie actually wrote a courtroom drama that was a play called witness for the prosecution that was made into a really good movie with Charles Lawton. And I just, for some reason picked up on that and thought, you know, I'd really like to write a uh, mystery courtroom drama. And Alan, I don't know what happened, popped into my head and, and, you know, as a um, recovering attorney, I had some experience with that. So I felt like I, you know, I could, I could do that and write from a place where I felt that I had the knowledge to write from. Well, you, I I would think you'd get into true crime. Um, you know. Yeah, you know these are a little bit more literary, and they have hopefully some pretty interesting characters and good character development. So um, I really wanted to stay, you know, more in the um, oh, the courtroom drama part of it. Although our protagonist Berlafia does end up doing a fair amount of detective work as he tries to get to the bottom of things. Yeah. It's pretty interesting. So when you create a character, like you've got, this is the new book, Bare Bones. That's part of your Burr Lafayette's mystery book, and it's number three. Um, so your character there, uh, Burr, um, how do you develop that character? Like where do you get the ideas from and how do you create them? Well, that you know, that's, that's a good question. Well, the first thing is that I am not Burr Lafayette, and he's not me. We, we, I get asked that all the time. We share some similar characteristics, but I'm not. Um, I don't. My behavior is not nearly as bad as his. I'm not nearly as outrageous. I don't drink nearly as much, and I'm not divorced. <laughs> but um, you know, I sort of put myself when things. And I know you're a writer too, but when, and I probably happens to all writers, and it doesn't happen as often as I like. But when I really get going, I sort of get into the mind and the persona of the character, and things just happen. And I, I probably sounds like a silly explanation, but that's what happens. And there's other characters in the series 
who behave in fairly predictable ways um, and do not the same things over and over again, but they have their own character traits. And I can get into their personas um, also, and, and that's you know that's that's really how it works. And I, you know, I have a very active imagination, so uh, yeah. things pop into my head at all times of the day and night, and I try and write them down, remember them, and if they're good enough, put them in a book. Yeah, I was going to say you'd have to have imagination, but I wonder. Um, uh, so, on these characters you have um, that you write. Are they based on anybody you know, or is it someone you might run across in the street or someone you might see in a coffee shop or you're walking through the mall and you, you see someone doing or saying something? Does that sort of spark the idea? It does, and it's all of those things. There are some characters that are loosely based on so – all these stories are fiction and all the characters are fictional, but there are some real people – that I've drawn um, at least parts of characters from. And it could be as simple as walking down the street and seeing somebody whose hair is combed in a certain way or whose nose looks a certain way or who says things in a certain way. And uh, um, a couple of the reviewers have said that they like the minor characters in these books because they're colorful. So I, I try and... And each character has their own part, and he or she has their own, the own, the own, their own function in the book. But I try and make them distinctive enough so they're not bland and gray. Um, the, you know, there's there's a character in um, uh, the Gray Drake, which is the second book in the series, and she thinks she's a key witness, and she's has quite overweight and has henna-colored hair, and um, has been at a, a bingo party, and she says she was drinking iced tea, but um, you know it really was something much stronger than that. And Bert calls her um, testimony into question over that, and that was based on loosely based on a, you know an actual person whose name will not be mentioned. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was going to say, you know, uh, I, I just wonder. Have, oh, actually, speaking of courtroom, did you, have you watched the new Perry Mason series? I have, I have. Yeah. Um, I, you know, I, um, I enjoy it. I mean, I, you know, I think those things were, you know, they were terrific. And I, I haven't read all the Earl Stanley Gardner books, um, but I read, I read quite a few of them. Uh, and, and I didn't know this at the time, but Burr, his, his sidekick isn't Paul Drake, but it's another lawyer um, named Jacob Wertheim, uh, who's a very fussy man. With um, uh, an, you know, sort of an with olive complexion and really steel wool hair, and uh, he's very very fussy. And one of my friends asked me if he was patterned after my law school roommate, and I said no. Um, <laughs> and then he also has a, a long suffering, long time legal assistant named Eve McGinty, who isn't at all like Della Street, but she tries to keep Burr in line. She's sort of the conscience of the whole parade there because Burr left to his own devices you know he'd ra he'd rather be sailing his boat or duck hunting or drinking a martini so she kind of keeps the whole crew together and and he recognizes and says to himself frequently that you know she's smarter than he and Jacob put together and that's probably true yeah yeah it's quite quite stark quite the difference from the uh 
uh, Perry Mason series you see from. Well, there. that's right. <laughs> and you know, in the Perry Mason series, there's no backstory. You know, it starts in court, it ends in court. We don't know anything about, you know, how how he any of those characters grew up, what their really what their houses look like, what their families look like. It's just that. And and these books are different in that way, in that there is backstory and some personal life and you know yeah. other character traits well it was probably of the times because if you think back in the 50s and 60s um that wasn't something that they paraded around we didn't we didn't want to bring in all that personal stuff because it would it would force us to uh, deal with real life so to speak you know right no you're right although i'm sure you remember anatomy of a murder there was some that was a great book and a great movie but there was some Jimmy Stewart, you know, wanted to go fly fishing, and he, yeah. I think he had some of his own money troubles. So I don't know if that's where it started, but there were um, – Robert Traver had some um, – some, you know, he did have some of that. And he, he actually, as you probably know, was a um, Supreme Court judge in the state of Michigan. Funny things. <laughs> now, your characters, do you, are, are, are they very personal to you? Yeah, they are. In fact, um, you know, I try and do my best to take care of them. I try and get them into just enough trouble that they can get out of without having serious, um, you know, serious poor consequences. You know, Burr has almost been killed a couple times. Um, his constant companion is a, an aging Labrador retriever called um, Zeke. Um, who he thinks so much of that he was able to persuade his ex-wife to name their son after the dog. So there's a Zeke the boy and a Zeke the dog in these books. And I've had a number of comments that people thought that that was, you know, outrageous, but that, that's what happened in the book. <laughs> how, how does that uh, go now? Because today with social media and, and all of this stuff that we have, what's it what's it like for you the interaction with with people that comment like that negative and positive is it is it something you take real serious or do you try to avoid it you know i respond to every um uh, email or facebook um message or phone call that i get i think it's important to you know, if somebody cares enough to buy a book I wrote, I'm always grateful. And if they care enough to make a comment, um, you know, I reply. And, and fortunately, there's a lot more positive than negatives, but there are some negatives. And I, you know, after, um, you know, cursing and doing stomping around, I try and, you know, look at what they said and see if it makes sense. And sometimes it does. So, I mean, these are... I think they're very good books. They're not perfect books, and I'm always, you know, I'm trying to learn something. Mm. So when you write these books, like when someone reads, if they pick up Beer Bones and they take it home and read it, other than the story, other than the actual upfront story or mystery, is there something underlying that you want them to take home? Um. Well, the first thing is they don't, these can be read in any order. So you don't have to start, um, with the, the pink pony, which is the first one. But yes, you know, there is, um, I think that, um, I try and convey that there is some rationality in the world 
and there is some justice. It may not be perfect justice. It may not be all tied up neatly in a bow, you know, but there is some justice in the world and some sense of fairness. So I, that, that's a very good question. I do try and, um, I do try and convey that. And they all take place in, in Michigan, um, mostly in northern Michigan, which is beautiful. It's like, it's somewhat like Seattle without the mountains. There's all kinds of lakes, all kinds of trees. Um, and I call these books um, Brutal Murders in Beautiful Places. So I try and convey the, the, the settings are really characters in the books. So Bare Bones, for instance, takes place. If you were to put your left hand palm out and spread your thumb, you know, that's the mitten, that's Michigan. But if you put your, your um, little finger out, that's called the little finger of Michigan, and the, the Sleeping Bear Dunes, where the book takes place, is right at the outside of your little fingernail. And it was the last national park formed. Um, it's about 25 miles of breathtaking scenery along Lake Michigan. The Sleeping Bear Dunes are three or 400 feet tall. I climbed them. It's way easier, like, going down and up. Um, and... <laughs> The, um, there's a great, there's a great Indian or Native American rather, um, legend that goes with the Sleeping Bear Dunes. And it's a beautiful area, but there was some controversy when the park was formed. There was a lot of government, federal, state, and local government land that was all put together. It took a very long time to get this done. But there were some, there was quite a bit of private land. And the Park Service decided that they wanted to have one big parcel. So, they bought quite a bit, but there were a bunch of people who had businesses and farms and cottages and homes there who didn't want to sell. So they began a process of condemnation. And, um, and the, a lot of the, lo- some of the locals still remember that. So, um, the park wasn't formed without some controversy. And when the book opens, Burr is in court, um, defending uh, this woman named Helen Lockwood and her sisters who own a 400-acre cherry farm that really is the gateway to the park, and the government has to have it. She disappears. Um, a year later, her body's found in a shallow grave on South Manitou Island, which is part of the park and part of the legend, and then her husband's arrested for murder, and then that's how it starts. Um, and, and most of these, these books are about half mystery and half courtroom drama. There's a fair amount of, of uh, courtroom scenes in, in each of the books I, I guess that's where your um your recovering lawyer part comes from i guess that helps a lot with describing uh it does. scenes <laughs> scenes in the courtroom right yeah, this is, wow that's uh, it, it, so when you um have characters that die off or get killed off um are they people you know <laughs> <laughs> uh well you know, I asked that they, because uh, you know J.D. Orn, who is a, does a lot of books, he said that if you're killed off in his book, it's it's someone that he wanted to kill, and and he takes the, um, that person. <laughs> so uh, I have to ask that I now. Would, <laughs> yeah, that's a very fair question. I would say that the three victims do bear some resemblance to um, at least characteristics of of real people. And the way these books are set up, um, the, the the murder takes place in the first chapter, so we we know who it is. 
Um, and then one of the tricks after that is we, the reader still needs to get to know these people, even though they aren't in the action because they're dead. So that's a little bit, um, you know, you have to do that the right way so that they get to know them, even though they're not in the book, they get to like them, they get to not like them. They get to think, well, maybe they did deserve to be killed. Maybe they didn't. And, uh, you know, that's, that's, uh, you know, by page 10 of all my books, someone's dead. <laughs> well, I'll stay away from the first, uh, <laughs> first 10 pages. Um, so, so what's, what are your influences as far as for writing? Um, you know, we have, and they, uh, there's a couple of Michigan writers that I really like. Um, Tom McGuane, who doesn't write mysteries, um, who grew up in Michigan and moved to Montana. And Jim Harrison, who recently deceased, who was a great writer who actually lived where Bare Bones was, was written. Um, in terms of, um, uh, um, you know, mystery thriller writers, I like Scott Turow. Uh, I like Walter Mosley. I like some of the classic, you know, Dash Hammett. There's a historical fiction espionage writer named Alan Hurst, F-U-R-S-T, who I also quite like. But, you know, I try and be eclectic and read um, a bunch of things all the time so I can, you know, for pleasure. Cause Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. 
Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I love to read, but also to learn things. And I, you know, I can usually pick something up or understand why somebody did something. Um, so I'd say those are, uh, you know, those are my favorite. I have read Anatomy of a Murder at least twice is probably due to be read again pretty soon um so those are those are i used to read nero wolf all the time i don't know if you remember nero wolf um the i was rex stout those are really old books um so those are those are a few yeah and so so what do you think of truman capote did you like that in cold blood or i did i did like in cold blood and it was hard to believe that he also wrote Breakfast at Tiffany's, but I did read <laughs> In Cold Blood shortly after it came out. Um, yeah, and I read, and you know, I needed to read Breakfast at Tiffany's twice because there's a lot going on in that book that if you don't pay attention, it's, it's short and breezy, but if you don't pay attention, a lot goes, at least a lot went over my head the first time through. Oh, yeah, 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 that's one of those things. With that, you learn things as time goes by. It's really weird. Right. It's a, yeah, it's crazy. So do you have any um, advice, let's say, for a new writer, someone that's just coming out and um, they're writing uh, crime fiction? What do you suggest for them? I don't know that I have any new suggestions, but it does really help. It is so much easier to write about what you know about because um, it just saves a lot of time and you don't need to worry about, did I get this right or you know, not right. I don't really write police procedurals because I'm not as well versed in, you know, the actual police work, but that's why I do courtroom dramas because I've been in court and I have a pretty good idea of how that goes. I think the other thing is it's nice to have some discipline and pick a time and just write something. And then I'd say be patient with yourself because it really, you know, I look at, at some of the stuff that I wrote you know, I look at it and I want to throw up and just throw it away. And then I put it down. I go walk the dogs and come back to it. And maybe I can find something worthwhile in there later. Although there's a lot of, you know, there, I still, I edit on it with a computer, but I write on yellow pads. And there's a lot of, you know, crumpled up pieces of yellow pad paper around. Yeah. Well, that's, I think that's common. I, I find that with myself. A lot of times you'll look at something and go, wow, that's terrible. Or, you know, I think that's just. I try, <laughs> I try and accept my humanity to allow myself to write terrible. Well, um, I know we're not supposed to um, curse on the air, but there's a very famous saying that, that I took to heart. It says, allow yourself to write a shitty first draft. And yeah. I think that's really important. And yeah. as a fellow writer, you probably would agree with that. Oh, for sure. And and uh, and there has to be a point where you, you let it go and you move on to the next book too, right? Because you can right. always be right. going back and correcting things or making things different or better in your mind. So Oh, boy, is uh, that true. You know, and, you know, yeah. now with print-on-demand, there's no end to it, right? Yeah. You can- <laughs> 
you can just keep doing it. And I find my knife to stop. The other says, okay, that's it. I don't really care how much better it can be. We're not changing this anymore. Yeah, so, yeah. Um, yeah, there's a there's a part of going too far. You you just have to let it go. Absolutely. Along, you know. Absolutely. Now I don't know because I know you're not writing about something that's um, you know with common with modern times, let's say, or what's going on. But do do things events like what happened in 2020? You know, all the the protests, the COVID, all the conspiracy, just all of the stuff going on. And the tension um, d- does that seep into your writing? Do you think? Do you think that you kind of become darker, maybe, in some of your tones in writing, or d- does it? Do you keep it keep it out completely? No, no, I don't. I don't keep it out completely. What um, these books all take place in the '80s, so the current event parts themselves don't get in. But some of the darknesses, you know, there's always some. Um, oh, say police officer, judge, and or prosecutor, character, uh, other lawyer who has some, you know, dark motivations that we have to learn about as things go on. Um, our friend Burr is a, um, is a brilliant litigator, but he's really a man at loose ends and his personal life's a mess. But he went to the University of Michigan Law School, which is one of the, which I, I, where I went, um, and it's one of the finest law schools in the country, but he is was the head of a big litigation department in a big downtown Detroit firm who's fallen on hard times and moved to East Lansing. And um, some of my classmates from law school aren't really very happy that I chose a Michigan lawyer who is a little bit down on his luck because it's a little bit of an oxymoron. So... Um, Burr is really iconoclastic and sort of uh, very independent, somewhat aloof, and he either pokes fun or takes jabs at the establishment. And I would say that, you know, some of, some of today's current events are like that, and that probably does um, leak or seep or find its way into my writing somewhere. Um, yeah, yeah. I, I, yeah, I was just wondering, because it seems like some writers – um, uh, totally incorporate anything dark or negative around them into re- what they're writing. Others can block it out. Um, myself, it kind of stops my writing. I, I find that I uh, don't write as much, even though I, it's kind of weird. It's nothing to do with... Really? Not, yeah, it's kind of strange. I kind of get stuck. Um, I get in a mode where I'm... It just It isn't going to work. So I, I don't know why. Um, it, it becomes more of a struggle for me. Uh, not that I'm completely focused on everything. It's just that it's there, you know. Um, well, the events of the day, especially these days, can certainly be paralyzing, and different people have different reactions. Um, so, you know, some people sort of breeze through things, and some people take it very seriously. And it's hard. It's, it's a little bit hard to predict who's going to react how. Um, I went into yeah. we we have a cottage in northern Michigan and, and my father's 97 and we he li- loves pie so we went into this um, it's called a house of pies to buy a pie right and they and they and you have to wear a mask going in which is just fine but the uh, the baker didn't have 
a mask on, you know. They did have some shields, but I didn't care. And um, there's a sign that says, um, this is an old-fashioned pie place. We use um, sugar, flour, local fruit, and Crisco. And so we're not gluten-friendly, and we're not whatever else it was. So if that doesn't work, don't come in. And I thought, okay, you know, that was at least pretty clear. And that was how they were dealing with all this. But their pies yeah. are delicious. Yeah, well, you know, it's just it's just crazy. Uh, do, you, do you feel, what do you feel about, like you write for the, your books are really kind of, like you said, in the 80s. So one, I guess, so many different things were happening in the 80s as compared to what's going on now. So, but when you write back in a time period like that, do you just remember it all, or do you have to go back and do research to make sure that things around your characters are accurate? Uh, both. I remember quite a bit, but I do need to do some research, um, whether it's online or talking to people to make sure that I get things right. Like, for instance, in, in Bare Bones, you know, Burr is a great Detroit Tigers fan. Um, well, at the time, and I didn't remember this for sure, but and you probably don't know this, but the Tigers had one of the best shortstop double play combinations in baseball. I had Lou Whitaker played second, and Alan Trammell was the shortstop. And I had to go back and make sure that I had that right. Um, there's a little music, popular music in there. I had to make sure I had the right songs of the era. In this book, cell phones are just coming out, and there's some there, there's some humor in these books. It's not all gloom and doom and drama. And Burr's determined. Burr doesn't really like to be in the office, so he thinks that buying a cell phone is going to you know make everything better. But I'm sure, as you recall, when those first cell phones came out, <laughs> they hardly worked, right? And there's a whole <laughs> bit about Burr and his cell phone, and uh, he finally hangs up and says, look, I can't hear you. Call me back, on a, you know, call me back from a phone booth. And, of course, there's no phone booths anymore either. So, <laughs> Yeah, yeah, the big so brick there's a, there's phones. <laughs> right, right. So there's some nostalgia in these as well. And I would say maybe looking back, everything seems it was a simpler time, but it sure, it sure seems simpler, which is, you know, a little bit of an advantage of writing about something that occurred um some time ago, I think it makes. I think people have a have a warmer, happier feeling, you know, about the recent past than certainly they might have about today. Yeah, I think it always seems that way. Um, you know, our memory's short, and we seem to try to hold on to the good things, I guess, because right. You know, you know, if, if look at the look at the riots and the protests in the '60s and. The, shooting of the president and then the 70s and black panthers and patty hearst and you just think of the unrest throughout the whole time um it's just that i think the past it gets settled or we think it gets settled right and well those are violent times i mean you're really right about that and i'm sure you remember where you were when kennedy um and what you were doing when kennedy was assassinated well, I was pretty young still then, but <laughs> so I don't. <laughs> I was just, I was just a couple years old, so I don't really. But it certainly had an influence. But I think everything throughout those times, and we soon to forget, you know. And and I think that 
the way it is now is, is sometimes it's different circumstances, but we we go through these and it, everybody's all upset and panicked. And if you calm down, you got to realize that God, it wasn't perfect in the 60s or the 70s no. or even the 80s. There were, we we were dealing with our stuff then too, and it seemed like the end. You're, of no, life. you're right. That's you a know. very good point. You're exactly right. Well, and plus, it, we feel like we resolve it, you know, like McCarthyism or whatever was the, the, the thing of the day, and then it gets resolved or we move on, and it, it we sort of forget then. And, and now, you know, it's it's just something that uh, we have no answers for. So I think people, it's the un, being unsure, I think, that scares people. But well, Yeah, I, I think that's right. <laughs> well, I think probably plenty. Well, no, 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 I'm just a, <laughs> just a, just a youngin. No, so that's that's interesting. That's that's amazing. Um, now, do you have a website as well that people can go to and find yeah. you? Or, um, okay. Charles CharlesCutter.com and also a Facebook page. Perfect. And and you don't mind people joining you on Facebook or saying hi? No, that, no, that'd be terrific. That that would be terrific. I respond. Um, you know, there's um, well, you know, Facebook is is. Uh, very democratic in the sense that when people write reviews, they get posted whether they're good or bad. So fortunately, <laughs> they're almost all good. But you know, if you scroll down far enough, you, there's, there's something for everybody. So yeah, 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 yeah. It's kind of crazy. That sure has changed our world, hasn't it? The uh, the way Boy, social really media is. You know, I, really I never has. saw this and, coming. No, and I need to be careful. I'm careful with it, just because you know the famous saying is. Um, uh, words unspoken, you're a master of. Words spoken, you're a prisoner of. So I try and be very careful in email, text, and Facebook and everything else about, I mean, I don't want to be bland or benign, but once it's out there, it's out there. Oh, yeah, write it, regret it. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. <laughs> Say it, forget it. You know, the thing is, yeah, I just, um, I get myself into trouble all the time. You know, I'm I'm always so I find myself pulling away from a lot of the social media because I I realize that I grew up in a different time, so I'll say or do things that aren't necessarily the most popular, and so sometimes, right. you know, you get slapped. So I I, I find myself kind of withdrawing a little because um, um, uh, it's it's it can be rather negative. <laughs> mm-hmm. but, well, one of my sons is 26, and he. You know, has a Facebook page and he's on Instagram and Snapchat, and he is sort of pulling back from it. He thought he was paying, spending too much time on it, and not really getting much out of it. And I thought, you know, he's a classic millennial in that age group. So I thought, you know, I thought, you know, if, if that's how you feel about it, that's what you ought to do. But I, I do think it, it can be so consuming that it, you know, it sort of sucks the life out of you. You're not careful. Oh, yeah. You know, you have to be very careful. You know, that whole thing. You can't get too wrapped up in it. I think that's the whole thing. No. Um, because there is a real life outside of online. So Right. You know, I mean, there are people. some important aspects to it. It really has helped, frankly, promote my books. And, um, uh, you know, these books are available at local bookstores and at Amazon. Um, but like it or not, you know, Amazon sells about... 40 to 50 percent of all the books now so if you don't have a presence on amazon you're not going to sell any books um you know i personally love bookstores and love to do book signings and 
love to go there, although all the book signings I had for the summer, you know, have been canceled and hopefully rescheduled. Um, you know, the booksellers are having a really difficult time because, you know, people need to be able to go in and browse, and it's very difficult to do that. So um, I try and support them in every way I can. But for booksellers, it's a very difficult time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's certainly a... Yeah, it's it's a whole new world we have to get used to, and I don't know. So, what do you got next? What's what's next? Are you going to continue well, writing a, in these series? Yeah, there's a new, a new book that hopefully will come out. Thank you for asking. It will hopefully come out before the end of the year, which is actually the prequel to the um, the, uh, the books in this series. That I had, you know, a lot of authors start in the middle of things, which makes Interesting, like that's how Star Wars started, right? Um, And um, but I had a lot of requests. Well, for how did this happen, or how did you know Burr's life get turned upside down? So this this next book is sort of is the prequel to the first three. I don't have a title yet. Um, You know, I'm the first draft is done. I'm in the second draft. I I I hope it's going to be a great book. At the moment, parts of it I really like, and parts that I don't. But that's just how it is, um, and then I got a couple in the works after that. But that—that's that, just how it goes, you know. I don't. Um, I I try. Usually, by the time I'm done, I quite like it. But in the middle, I sometimes I agonize. Oh, it's tough. I know. Uh, <laughs> well, I don't. Yeah, but it's good. It's it's a good life. It could be much worse. Oh yeah, yes. And a lot of things have been worse and maybe worse. So I'm not complaining. It's just. Difficult. The most therapeutic thing for me when I'm writing a book, I have two dogs, or our family has two dogs, a black lab and an English setter. And when I, when I'm working on a book and stuck, it very, it very much helps me to go walk, you know, walk a dog because, you know, if you're walking by yourself and you're talking to yourself, people think you're crazy. If you're walking with a dog and you're talking to the dog, no one thinks you're crazy. The dog is happy to hear the voice. Your voice, hopefully, or isn't maybe listening anyway, but things can go on pretty normally that way, and that really, that really helps me with my writing. Well, there, there you go. That now I know. Actually, I have a couple of dogs myself, so I understand that totally. Um, dogs, dogs actually are great because they uh, bring you back to the real world too. Boy, they do. For, they do, and yeah. um, you probably remember this, but uh, Annie Rooney said uh, the average dog is a nicer person than the average person. Oh yeah, yeah. You know, one of the things. Probably right. Oh yeah, one of the things. You know, my I I remember being young and and uh, my father. um, We were out driving and and a deer came out and uh, he almost hit it, Um, and he said to me very sternly, "You always hit the deer before you hit another uh, human or a car." And right. I took that seriously, but now that I'm older, I'm almost thinking I, the deer is probably nicer. <laughs> See, those are the things that I get in trouble for. <laughs> right. <laughs> I'll say and do something like that, and I'll say, well, you know, I'd rather run over that person than my dog, you know. But That's right. Uh, but, you know, I get myself into trouble every time, you know, can't win. But anyway. Well, it's certainly been a pleasure um, talking with you. I'm glad you took some time and um, and uh, hope you hope for the best for everything and, and hope your books do well. Um, Thank you, Alan. We're off to a good start, and it was really 
it was really great to speak with you today and, you know, be part of your show. I wish you continued success. Well, fantastic. Now, I'm going to have your book and your website up on our website so people listening can do one click and find you, just in case they uh, can't spell the name. But <laughs> you never know. Perfect. To find out more about our show, guests, or to listen to past shows from our archive, please go to www.houseofmysteryradio.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello? Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. You've been listening to the House of Mystery radio show. To find out more about our guests, hosts, or shows, go to www.houseofmystery.com. Show's over for now. Was it as good for you as it was for me? Well, good night. This has been a production of Something Weird Media. I'll be back.